Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach around Strength Guild, also a powerlifter, highly games athlete. Hey, it's Dr. Mike D. Nelson, associate professor of the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, and... Back home, and today's my 11th wedding anniversary. Ooh, nice. happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Nice. Yeah. Uh, today, we. I just want to start with Phil. Phil just had his meet. Um, yeah, let's hear about it. Yeah, so I went down to Texas and had a meet. So first meet since, like, last November. Normally I do one around November, go out to record breakers, but... The meets were all canceled, so we were searching for one. I found this one in Texas. Decided to go down there because I knew I'd been to several meets down there, and they were ran well. So traveled down. What well, We traveled down Thursday. I did. Most of my lifters did um, just to get the extra day of rest. Hit up the early Friday morning weigh-in. I weighed in light uh, 2.52, I think it was. Hmm. Huh. So a light 275-er. Um, and... Uh, you know, went back eight. I amazingly, I didn't cut at all for this meet. Of course, I just kind of ate normal and go in what I weighed in. I was still somehow able to gain twelve pounds overnight. Um, so uh, the next day I was two sixty. <laughs> uh, the next day I was two sixty four. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I'd gain. I figured I'd gain like four or five pounds because I was just eating a lot and resting. Um, but uh, you know, things get rolling. Uh, right off the bat, it's a really weird run meet. As far as the flights are set up, I figure, okay, I'll be in the last flight because I'm opening at 7.05. Um, so that just kind of usually means, unless there's like a, a 15 people squatting 1,000, um, <laughs> you're going to be in the last flight. Right. Um, <clears throat> so uh, anyways, they set it up. For, I think there was like six of us squatting over 700 for our openers. And they split us up two in each flight. So basically that means the bar is always going from really light to really heavy every flight, which I don't know why they did that, but it just seems like a good way to kill your loaders. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, because normally it's like, okay, first flight's from like the bar to 250 or whatever, and then 270 to four something, and then so the bar just never goes below a certain level. Mm -hmm. Um, So the loaders aren't ever taking eight plates off. Uh, (laughs) But anyways, I'm like, whatever cool deal i'm in flight two 
that still gives me time. I don't have to go on the first flight. So generally what happens is they have flight A warm up and then because uh, there's enough warm up for, for those people. And there was two platforms. So there's two flight A's warming up and I'm waiting. They call flight A up. So I start warming up. Uh, and then normally we warm up while, while flight A's going. And uh, our platform for some reason ran really fast. Like our side ended up finishing two flights before the other side finished one. So anyways, my warm up got abbreviated about 28 minutes instead of usually 15 lifters be an hour or so. Um, and didn't really notice this until I was like, oh crap, they're on thirds and I'm at 405 right now and I need to warm up to 700. Oh. So I start rushing through. I end up taking my, what, 495, 585, 675, pretty much back to back in the warm up room. I get up there and I'm four lifters out right after hitting 675. I'm like, Whew. oh man. Okay, settle down. <laughs> settle down. Catch your breath, you know, and uh, catch my breath. Then I'm on deck. It's okay, but I wrap. So I wrap. Uh, I get up there. I take it and I hit it just fine. I took it low. I got three white lights for the first time in a long time. Yay. Uh, like I always get red lighted on my bad hip side. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know what it was. It, it's. It could be the abbreviated warm up, and uh, I cramped really hard right where they reattached my hamstring. Mm. Uh, so I'm like, eh. I go to the table to call my next. I'm like, I'm just going to be, you know, five years ago, Phil would have been like, I'll give you some 50. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I call it. I just call it at 705. I was like, my goal is to walk away whole, and I already hit 705. So uh, there's other needs. So, um, so I just take that and call it a day on squats, help other people out. And uh, my my bench had been or my shoulder had been hurting me for weeks, so I stopped benching like six weeks ago, before the meet. And I benched like the week before, just to okay, three fifteen feels good. Uh, I come in, my shoulder's killing me, so I take three fifteen. It hurts, and uh, you know, like the weight's not a problem. It's like my shoulder. I have a torn labrum, and on bad days, it just feels like if I push harder, my shoulder's just gonna pop out. So I just. I take that one lift, I'm done again. So two and out, uh, or one and out. But I got that. So, and that's really all I care about on bench. So, uh, go take a nap in the car, rest while people are doing their thing. I did that between squat too. Uh, all my people were like, "Where'd you go?" I was like, "I'm taking a nap, man." Uh, if you hang in there all day, and that's what, and a few of them understand this now. But. Uh, yeah, and if you're sitting there cheering and yelling for all your friends, and your adrenaline's up for that too. Yeah. And deadlift, you're just done. Right. You know, a long yeah. day. So I remove myself from the situation as soon as I can, and I'll go lay in the car for an hour or whatever, try and close my eyes. But uh, I go in, I open deadlift at 675, is what I decided to open with. And uh, I smoke it and set it down. Two red lights. I'm like, what? And I look at the head judge. I was like, "What was that?" And he's like, "I don't know. Ask them." And it was the side judges. <laughs> like he gave me a white light. The side judges gave me a red light, and they had both called me on a soft knee. Um. And basically, what happens is, if anybody is lifted really heavy, we call it static, but it's something that happens neurologically with like your CNS. When it gets really heavy. You have this tendency to shake, like the muscle. It's like somebody's turning the light switch on and off. Um, and I was at lockout and my, my left leg was doing that. It was just really fast, uh, kind of twitching, which it does all the time has forever. 
and they called that on a soft knee. And after the fact, the next day, the the guy that ran the meet called me and apologized. Said, "Yeah, that was a bad call." But uh, he said that was just uncontrollable shake, and you know, you were locked out. But anyways, I'm pissed at this point, <laughs> and and they're like, "Don't worry, you can just take it again." Uh, just take the same lift again. And it was really easy to wait for you and you pick it up. I was like, no, fuck that. Uh, I put 50 pounds on the bar. I'm going for a national record. And I'll just show you how it's done. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Oh, my God. Uh, so uh, I'm mad at this point. And, uh, you know, my turn comes up and I hit this, hit that. It was, what, 714 or whatever it was. And the head judge says, down. I just hold it. And I turn my head and look at the side judge. I was like, is that good? And I put it down. And, uh, Cocky. <laughs> she just shakes her head. And yeah, yeah, it's good this time. And that's like it set it down. So, uh, and the whole crowd's just cracking up. Uh, <laughs> I'm there, like talking to this lady. Because I picked it up and I was like, this one has to be good. I'm sitting there talking while I'm lifting it. Right. And then I asked her <laughs> if it's good. And uh, the head judge is like, man, you held that a long time. I was like, yeah, I can stand there all day. It's not a grip issue. Um, so, yeah, that, that's end of what I hit. And so, I, I mean, it's my... This will be my third meet that I've hit, 700 and 700, so squat and deadlift. And all in all, it was a really good ran meet. I mean, it was fast. That was my fault, not knowing, just being in a new a new area with meets. I'd coached at those meets, but I didn't expect it to run that fast. If it had, I'd have been a little more swift with my warm-ups, especially my early sets. Like, it's really easy for me to go. I could have went, like, 135, 225, 315, 405 in a few minutes. You know, and not wore myself out at all, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been much easier than doing the what I did, which was take my time on 135, 225, up to 405, and then having to take 495, 585, 675 really fast. Uh, yeah, the big ones. So, uh, you know, that was my fault. The only thing, and that's what the, the guy that ran the Federation called me the next day. I put up a thing on Facebook. Just tell me it was a great meet. You know, it was ran fast. I was done by 345, and I started lifting at 10. Um, but... uh the only thing that I saw that was really weird in the 20 years I've been powerlifting at meets, I've seen maybe eight or 10 soft knees calls on deadlift. There was like 18 Ooh. at this point. Hmm. And there were just judges were looking for something. And I, we weren't seeing what they're looking at. It's usually, usually a soft knees call is a very blatant. Uh, it's usually when somebody over pulls the lift and they overextend. And then they'll rebend their knees because they're leaning back so far. Like you'll stand up, you'll lock, and then you'll pull. Like they'll they'll try and overextend the deadlift to just show that their hips are through, which unlocks their knees to not fall over. Um, and yeah. they'll call you on soft knees. I mean, soft hips is a, a usual one. Like people will almost make it up and they don't get their hips yeah. through, and they'll kind of smile and shake their head like, yeah, I got this. Uh, no, bro, you don't. <laughs> so. But yeah, there were a lot of those calls, and it was like it's just across the board on both platforms. Um, and I told him that's the only thing I saw, and he's like, "Yeah, we had some judges that were messing up." Uh, so, but I mean, like I told my people, and like the at this meet, the the down commands on deadlift were long, and the press commands were long. But it's like any sport, like if you're a football player, and you know every game you got a different group of referees, they're all going to call it a little different. You got to be prepared that and adjust your game to the day. You know, mm-hmm. and play how they're calling it. It's still human error in in judging. I mean, there's a rule book, but it's not like there's still some just subjectivity to it uh, to a level. But yeah, it was good meet. Uh, everybody did well. Um, I set three state and a national record. 
Oh, I think a lot of my people did the same. Uh, I think Becky hit a national record. She squatted 419, deadlifted 419. Um, Gina hit 385 on deadlift and 350, 360 squat, something like that. Just big. Uh, yeah, we had some we had some some good lifters. There were some strong people there. Uh, yeah, we had a good time. So then we ate a lot, ate a lot of Whataburger and some Mexican food and some wings and about it ate all the store <laughs> yeah ate all the food and i was pretty wrecked the next day it was mainly just my back from about mid back up to the top of my head was just fried mm. so <laughs> my legs my joints luckily i mean all my joints felt great hamstring there was no there's no residual pain in that it was just a slight cramp and that thing will do that every once in a while oh that's good uh, it's just kind of scary when it's because it's right where the you can feel it's like right up under my glute where they reattached mm. it but yeah, it was good. That's good. So. I mean, you know what? Nobody ever gets rewarded for avoiding a tear because it's like you'll never know. Yeah. You know, uh, you don't get that immediate feedback. But the wisdom says, "I win." You know. Yeah. Um, yep. Because you could. Yeah. Right now, you could be talking to us with, "Oh shit, I got to go back into surgery." And that's one thing I wouldn't need to do. Right on. I can't help but think you pulled a little bit of a Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> like with all that weight, you're just you get aggressive and you're <laughs> you're almost pulling the you know cocky like is that good? Yeah. Huh? You know? Yeah, and that's how I was. Yeah, I put the video up on Facebook and stuff, and yeah, I was definitely like, you know, is that good enough this time? You know, <laughs> and uh, with some attitude to it, but yeah, because anybody who's um, you know, at one hundred point zero percent of their ability cannot do that. You know, you can't look left and right and be like. How's that? Okay, you want a little yeah, more? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> literally, I'm like still six inches from lockout, and I'm sitting there talking like, "Oh, this one's got to be good." You know, you guys got to give me white lights on this. I'm talking as I'm picking up 714 right. pounds, and uh, yeah, you just can't yeah. do that if you're maxed. You just can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then I was toast. I I took another jump after that because I went to the table and they're like, "Yeah, hey, you want to go up again?" I was like, "Yeah." The crowd seemed to like it. Go ahead, give me a higher lift, and yeah, I was just done. So yeah. it was the end of the day, and I tried. It moved a couple inches, but. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, that was because of COVID and everything. How many times have you competed in it? Because normally you're the you're the one amongst us. You're constantly, you know, on the platform. Oh, this is my first first meet since last uh, a year ago, November. Wow. So yeah. yeah, it's been that's a long time for me. Yeah. Um, there was just no meets that you know I wanted to go to. So right. Because I've been traveling for meets. It's like if if I'm going to do one or two a year, I'm going to get out of here and uh you know get around some other people and usually it's record breakers but you know everything in california is canceled still mm-hmm. so um we found this one in texas and i was like yeah it's nice in texas it's warmer there let's go so yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome so, which city in texas uh it was a right outside of san antonio oh okay yeah right outside of san antonio a little town called pleasanton and uh you know the seasoned lifters, the old—not seasoned lifters, but the old folks. Me and the my older guys uh, stayed in Pleasanton. All the young people, like they stayed in. We're gonna stay down on the waterfront, down on the riverfront in San Antonio. And I was like, nope, I don't want that part of that. Right. We sat in our hotels and ate Whataburger and chilled. So <laughs> <laughs> you guys go see the town, you know. But so this was um, this is all equipped uh, meat. No, I was the only equipped person there. 
Oh, interesting. the only one. Oh yeah, and that's that's the funny thing is like when I started powerlifting, I was talking to this with other people. When I started powerlifting, I was the only raw guy at meets, and now I'm finally getting into equipment, and I'm the only equipped guy at meets. So I've kind of swapped roles. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, they're all doing raw now. Let's try this thing out that everybody else was doing 20 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I had several people coming up to me. It's good to see somebody left and equipped, and. Uh, I really think it helps my hips. I mean, it straightens me out mm-hmm. after this few months in it. My hips sit level when I'm squatting down. I've always had that one hip riding higher. And like I said, this is the first time in a, a long time I can remember getting three white lights. Like Normally, I'm just like, I'm getting red light from that person on my left. It's going to happen, you know. And uh, no, I had white lights there. And it's just it's leveled my hips out. And I thought it was more of a bone structure thing than it was a... Uh, than anything else but apparently you know just the support of that suit hugging my hips a bit uh has helped straighten me out so do you think some of that's a little bit more proprioception because you've got something basically pulling on your skin and pushing you in different directions you have kind of more feedback for lack of a better word probably yeah yeah and that's the same thing as like when i'm wearing briefs i don't get a lot out of my briefs like normally on all my raw meets i wore briefs uh all the training up to it and I'd take them off, and I would squat the same numbers just fine. Hmm. Not saying I'd squat the same numbers in uh, the suit as I would out of the suit, but I mean, right. I mean, let's—I don't know—that's hard to say because I've squatted more. I did 722 in my last meet with no suit, so and I did 705 this meet in a suit, but I was also 40 freaking pounds lighter. Um, <laughs> so oh, that's yeah. a big difference. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So we had an episode years ago about just um, the magic of compression at all, you know, how it changes, yeah. uh, you know, nerve, like neurochemical release and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I'm the older I get, the, the more a fan I am of compression. It, I don't think it's always an, an attempt to do, you know, to ride your wraps and do a weight that you normally couldn't do. I just think that the compression itself could be a really good thing, especially for an old scar tissue kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I just don't, uh, you know, my lifters kind of make fun of me now, but I don't, I won't squat anything now without a light pair of wraps on. It's just not worth it. It feels good. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and a lot of that I think is mental, but, you know, it just makes my knees feel good. And it's like, man, I've been doing this long enough. I'm just going to wear them. It takes me 30 seconds to put them on. You know, <laughs> I'm really fast to put them on now. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it, if that'll keep my, if that'll keep this car running down the road, I'm gonna do it, man. Totally. Because <laughs> no. I'm just happy to still be going up there and doing it after this long. I mean, that's that was. Uh, if my math is right, this was year 14 of deadlifting over 700 pounds. You know, 14 Oof. years ago was when I did it the first time, mm-hmm. and I've done it pretty much every year since then, except for the two-year hiatus for the hip replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's man that's a lot of time to be pulling that kind of weight oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. so yeah yeah and you know it's not like you lack street cred i remember once joe schlero said he said well if you can do sets with 405 in the squat you know you'll put 200 plus pounds in you know you should try equipped and actually try a power lifting meet and i'm thinking but i can't squat i'm not gonna with a straight face look at someone and say i can squat i don't know 650 you know i can't do that yeah uh, but yeah. that's nobody's going to have that argument with you. You know what I mean? Because you're like, well, yeah, no. so I did this 
effing naked. Exactly. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, I've, I've been doing this for you know eighteen years with no gear, and so I'm a and I don't know. I would love to. It'd be dumb, but like let's say I go in today and squat raw and max out. Just see what the difference is. I'm guessing. If I had to guess, I'm probably getting 40, 50 pounds out of that single ply suit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Well, I think it's good. You're sort of an example then for the middle-aged lifters who they there's no shame. If your joints are truly beat to hell and you've had multiple surgeries and everything else, this could be a whole fun new experience for you, you know. Yeah. No, it's it's a good time. Adventure. So. Yeah. Um I pulled three studies for the little science section uh today. Uh, and mm-hmm. one of them totally backs up what you were saying, and this is not surprising to anybody who does it. Uh, about body weight helping your squat, um, what you just mentioned that. Um, but uh, Gabby from the forums, and she'll send emails and whatnot, I've been meeting to follow up on this, and I think I have some before, but it's hard for me to remember because I've got too many things on my plate. <clears throat> but what I did, um, Gabby et al., is go look at what the influence of body shape and size, what it does to different lifts. Uh, because I think she was getting some some shit about, oh, you're short, so your squats are easy. It's just easy for you because you're short. Mm-hmm. Um, and although there's some truth to that, I thought, well, um, let's go see what the research says. And then everyone after the break, we're going to open up the discussion um, and Phil and Mike are going to be way better uh, resources than I am for this one, but maybe talk about the best squatter, uh, either pro or client, uh, deadlifter, bencher, even snatch some of the Olympic lifts, uh, and what did they look like? You know, Who are the best that you've seen, and then were there physical characteristics that jumped out? So we can kind of compare notes right, with what we see in the field versus what the, the science is saying. Uh, so let me uh, jam through. There's three papers here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one is from Helen Ryan Stewart. Uh, PLOS One. This is back from 2018, so Public Library of Science. The Influence of Somatotype on Anaerobic Performance. So I'm not going to give a big rundown of somatotype, but just briefly, you know, mesomorph, meso meaning mass, these guys are thicker. They're not just have a lot of muscle mass. That's true. But, you know, thick necks. Like, you can see a mesomorph in a second. Um, just heavily built. And that's in contrast with an ectomorph, right? These are the thin, more angular kinds of physiques. Uh, honestly, I think the meso-ecto combo makes the best bodybuilder, in my opinion. Because they have little joints. You know, they look shapely, stuff like that. Uh, and then there's endomorphs, and those are the guys not just carrying more body fat, but they're more rounded, their face is rounded, sometimes their shoulders are rounded, their hips are th- are bigger, um, you know, so you maybe think like a football lineman or something like that. So th- they're looking at this, and you can get uh, give yourself a number. It's always a fun little interactive thing. Um, give yourself a number on a seven scale from low to high on each of these three characteristics, right? Because nobody is 100% mesomorph, almost nobody. Um, so, you know, you might give yourself a number like, a, I'm a four, six, two, something like that, uh, across the, you know, mesomorph, ectomorph, uh, endomorph rating scales. Anyway, so they wanted to look at how does, how does that, uh, body shape affect your performance? 
says the link between athlete performance uh, and physique is well established, but a direct link between somatotype in the three numeral rating uh, system has not been reported. They look at 36 physically active men. They were 26 plus or minus 10 years old. So not children. Body mass, about 80 kilos, plus or minus 13. So they're not waifs. They're not gigantic. but um, And it said where somatotype rated uh, scales were used, the Heath-Carter method, subjects were assessed for three rep max in the bench and squat. Okay. So here's what they found. Positive correlations were seen between mesomorphy and three rep max in the bench press. Um, the correlation was 0.56, so that's a, a moderate um, correlation. Also between mesomorphy and the three rep max in the back squat, and that's a very similar uh, correlation, so a, a nice moderately strong correlation. So more muscle mass works, <laughs> in a sense, at least. <laughs> at least, you know, it's, yeah. it's related, if not causal. Negative correlations were seen between ectomorphy and three rep max in the bench, uh, and it was a little weaker correlation. It was a negative 0.38, but that should make sense, right? If you're thinner and more angular, you know, the bar may have to travel farther. You're just not as heavily built. Joints, muscle mass, whatever. And there was also a negative cor- similar negative correlation with ectomorphy and the three rep max in the back squat. So, again, the thinner, more angular guy is going to struggle. That's probably not surprising but it's neat that they give actual numbers you know on how much so here we're talking about you know maybe 10 percent of the variance in these things uh it, you know as far as being thin and angular in these performances it says mesomorphy was the best predictor of the three rep max uh in the bench press with 31.4 percent of the variance explained so about a third of everything that goes into a big bench is how, how mesomorphic you are, essentially. It says, a combination of mesomorphy and ectomorphy best predicted the 3RM back squat. Now, that's interesting. So, um, combo, right? Again, the thick neck, heavily built type versus the more angular uh, people. Uh, and then they just sort of conclude, around one-third of strength performance is predicted by somatotype. So I thought that was interesting stuff. Again, mostly focusing. Uh, there's a muscle mass component here. I don't know, Mike. Have you done much uh, somatotyping stuff or any thoughts about that? Not too much. I mean, there's some, like you said, some data to support it, and it's just kind of one of those things that you do tend to see is associated also, just from looking at people and you know their structure and muscle mass and you know joint thickness and things of that nature but i haven't done a whole lot of uh, reading a ton of research on it to be honest mm-hmm. this next one i'm going to get i want some feedback from phil for sure this is from furland at all international journal of exercise science 2020 the relationship between physical characteristics and maximal strength in men practicing the back squat bench press and deadlift So they're going to get right to it. 18 male junior drug-tested classic powerlifters and 17 NCAA Division II American football players, anthropometric measurements, right? So, you know, tape measures, caliper, girth kind of things um, were taken, and then they compared it with maximum strength results in a powerlifting meet and then some other ways. Here's what they found. Greater Wilkes in the back squat 
generally presented with higher body weight. And again, you just mentioned that, Phil, as far as when you were heavier, you know, your numbers are just naturally bigger. Um, better Wilkes scores with higher body mass index and body fat percentage. That's interesting. So mm-hmm. you're talking about a, you know, 0.35 to 0.45 correlation here. So describing a, a reasonable percentage of the performance. And again, when we look at the, when I say an R squared or it explains certain percent of the variance, what it's basically saying is it's not cause and effect. All these things are contributors, right? So higher body weight, higher body mass index, so weight for height, and higher body fat percentage. Uh, and those are pretty similar as far as their contributions, it looks like, uh, numerically. Also, hip and waist and torso circumference were better for the back squat. And again, I don't think that's surprising. You get these huge hips and a big, yeah. strong midsection, you know, all that yep. kind of stuff is going to help too. Um, individuals with greater bench press now generally presented with a higher body mass index. Uh, and again, similar, you know, 0.37 here uh, relationship. Also, uh, higher lean body weight and hip circumference. Now, the hip circumference I thought was interesting that that would correlate with the bench press, but, you know, you need driving force, I suppose. And I, it's also suggestive of just heavier built dude, People, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And it probably <clears throat> changes your biomechanics a little bit, too, if you're going to be able to push your hips up, per se, and still have them touch the bench, right? You can probably get more of an arch and changes the mechanics of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, older, shorter... And shorter thighs and trunks. So that's interesting correlations here. Um, uh, And it also says with deadlift, a higher lower leg to height ratio. So longer shanks. Is that going to help, Phil, in your opinion, in a deadlift? Uh, I don't know about the lower leg. leg. Leg length in general, which we can get into here in the second part of the show when we're going to talk about this more but yeah i think so i mean generally what i see is long limb people are better at deadlift generally somebody with long legs has long arms yeah i think it's not often you see somebody that's like oh my god look at those huge long legs and uh then they got short little arms but but this is the kind of stuff where phil i remember you talking about doesn't this just help someone choose whether they're sumo or conventional right and and how you go about it right i mean you're your limb biomechanics are, are going to help determine some of this stuff, right? Um, yeah. No, it is, 100%. So, yeah. I want to see arm length. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And deadlift? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you would think, right? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yes, your limb proportions, let's just summarize, are are significant <laughs> when it comes to deadlift. And I don't think that's going to be shocking to anybody. Um, yeah, and like I said, I, there's, I don't have a ton of details here about sumo versus conventional or, or stance, you know, width and all that kind of stuff. But you think that's how people of different uh, femur or tibia lengths probably adjust or torso length, you know, you're going to adjust with the style of the deadlift, I suppose. So that's another one. And then the last one. Relationship of limb length and body comp in weightlifting. So this is Perez and colleagues, Journal of Environmental Research, Public Health, 2021. 
So this is a new one. Weightlifting is a discipline where technique and anthropometric characteristics are essential. I think we can all agree on that. A lot of technique, and it has a lot to do with your um, you know, body proportions. They did an observational and descriptive study of 19 athletes, 12 men and 7 women. This is the first time I think I've seen women in this list. Uh, they are not children. They're, you know, 29, 28, 29 years old, plus or minus 6. Uh, they had a skilled anthropometrist uh, take their measurements. It says in female weightlifters, there is a positive correlation between foot length, this is interesting, uh, and snatch performance. Hmm. Uh, this is foot length, maximal velocity, uh, and snatch performance were all positively correlated. And these correlations are high, 0.77 um, 0.96 so uh, the velocity and snatch performance to me that that's something you should see right the the faster the bar is moving probably the better it, so long as it's a skilled person probably faster is better um i don't know about i, I i'm just completely unfamiliar uh, with the foot length thing phil can you think of anything why foot length is going to affect snatch in a, in a good way balance yeah. Just balance. Balance a lot, Lovers. holding the weight overhead, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I could see that. I mean, that you had a lot more. Because there's a lot of little shift that goes on. Like, you catch it, and you're kind of, whoa, you'll see people kind of shake there. And you got big, long feet. you got more to balance with. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah. I think your foot has a lot to do with, you know, you're kind of balancing on a tightrope there with a bar over your head. <laughs> right, yeah. So okay. if you have more, more, placement on the floor you know you've got to you know be like if i was standing on a the edge of a two by four on the two inch side or on the edge of a four inch side i'm gonna balance easier you know mm-hmm. i got more i'm taking up more space on the ground yeah. so yes. that's the only thing i can think of snatch and clean clean and jerk uh, real high correlations here um it says in male weightlifters a positive correlation between tibia length so again with the shank length if you will mm-hmm. and average velocity of the barbell in the snatch was observed. Uh, so, interesting there. Um, muscle mass percentage correlated positively with performance indicators in both techniques. So, again, this is sort of like the confirmation, I think, in the first paper, right? Bigger engine. Oh, look, better better strength performance. Um, this is also the relative length of the upper limb was negatively correlated with performance. And I don't think that's going to surprise anybody, right? You've got real long arms. It's hard to punch that big barbell way, way over your head. Um, yeah. Is that partly how you select people, Phil? Like if somebody comes to you and like, I'm, I'm into Olympic lifts and you're like, you got the you got short arms. You, you might have a chance here. You know, that kind of thing or? Mm, no. I mean, mobility is more of a. Just mobility in general. I don't mm-hmm. care if you have long arms, long legs. I mean, okay. the sport itself is generally conducive to shorter-limbed people. But there are long-limbed people that can do it as long as you can get uh, – it. put a bar over your head, sit to your ankles. If you can do that and not you – know, okay, you have the ability to do this sport. You know, There's not a huge percentage of people that can like come off the street and do that, uh, especially taller people. They just lack the shoulder mobility because your taller people then they uh, 
they kick forward more at the hip. They have more bend at the hip, which means there needs to be even more bend at the shoulder to keep the bar over neutral. Okay. You know, so uh, where's your short little people? It's kind of straight up and down. You know, you look at the little Asians and how they're built, and there's a reason they're good at the freaking sport. <laughs> they're normally smaller people. Right. So, okay. I'm looking more at limb length. I don't care about your total height. It's And that's where, where like, the, the comment to Gabby I feel is faulty because people forget that you can be short and have long limbs relative to your body structure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can be short with really long legs and a small torso. So, but. yeah. Yeah. I guess if from my, my um, outsider perspective on that one, I just, I see someone, if they punch a weight over their head and their arms are fully extended and it mm-hmm. looks like it's three inches above their skull, that seems easier to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Then if that bar is hovering feet above your, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but above your head, you know, that yeah. just seems like that, that long lever arm with all that weight on it would be just be really hard to manage with long arms. But Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. A little bit of what's out there. Uh, I just encourage everybody to go look at that stuff themselves if you're interested in what body shapes might affect, at least affect, or even enhance uh, how how strong you are in various lifts. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, that took a little bit, so we're going to go to break. When we come back, I'm, I'm just going to ask uh, Phil and Mike, like, what do you see in the trenches? You know, the best lifters, you know, of all time or that you've seen, and did they overcome, like, not having these body shape characteristics or muscle mass, you know, or did they exemplify them? So we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. Over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, in about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. 
Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. Uh, after a couple of weeks of, uh, several weeks, I think, of guests, we're just, you know, shooting the ship together here. And we're going to talk about what body shapes might be best for different lifts. Um, Phil, let's take a look at your uh, travels. So what about, mm-hmm. like, the best best lifters and, you know, I don't know, we can start with squat, I guess. Some of the best squatters and what did they look like? Yeah, I mean, in general, your best squatters are, they generally have uh, short femurs and they're thick, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're able to stay a lot more upright in their squat because they're short femurs. So there's less angle at the torso. So it's just a more efficient move than it is for your, your longer limb people. Your longer limb people end up bending a lot more at the waist to get down to depth just because they have to, you know, if you're yeah. going to keep the bar over midfoot and you've got really long legs, you know, if somebody has 14 inch femurs and somebody has 23 inch femurs, they're automatically going to tilt a lot more at the hip and you're going to every angle, you know, then you have this multiplier at the, the knee angle, the hip angle, you know, each one of those creates a lever arm that exponentially increases the weight. Whereas your people with, with short femurs generally have very little hip bend. They're very upright in their squat. So everything's on their hips and they just have these huge quads that can, uh, they can stand up with. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's regardless of height to a point you start running off, work with some, some NBA players and stuff. And when you're like seven, six, <laughs> you know, that's just a long way to go down to get to parallel. No matter, yeah. I don't care how your legs are built. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, you're six, three guys down all the way down to five, six or whatever. It's generally mm-hmm. people that are, that are pretty thickly built like a Mr. Ed Cone, you know, he's built kind of like a short stubby tree trunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yep. And uh, yeah, they're they're just able to squat well. They're they're just built for it. They've got a thick, thick midsection, um, and just big hips and ass. You know, and they're yeah. just very they're like a piston. They go straight up and down. There's mm-hmm. not much wasted movement. There's not a lot of shift back and forth away from center of gravity in their body in general. Whereas your longer limb people, uh, there is. There's just a lot of body moving outside of that that center of gravity. Right. So, right. Now, I'm no biomechanist. I mean, I'm a nutritionist, for God's sake. Um, so I, that's why it's fun to ask this. So, like, what about if somebody is really, you know, shorter, femur, quad dominant, are, are they going to be higher bar lifters? Are you going to try to encourage everybody to be a lower bar lifter? Like, how do you determine that or, you know? No, generally, uh, your shorter limbed lifters can get away with high bar a lot better. Like, mm-hmm. And that's why, like, a lot – most of your Olympic weightlifters, if you look at them, most good Olympic weightlifters are have short femurs. Yeah, they yeah. just do. It's yeah. the nature of the sport, mm-hmm. um, and they have shorter arms, um, and they can sit straight up and down like a piston. This is like you know Ed Cohn's kind of that way. He could sit straight up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They can get away with high bar a lot better. Whereas somebody that's longer limbed, again, now we have that that bend in their torso at the hip. 
you got high bar going on, it's going to try to take your head off. Yes. You know, because you don't just have, you have shearing force going on, not just load pushing down on your spine. As you bend at the hip, it's trying to shear your spine and it's going right through your head. So mm-hmm. we'll shift people more to low bar in general, uh, longer limb people. But I mean, shorter limb people get away with it too. I mean, you go into powerlifting because the other thing is most, most short femur people are mobile at the knee more so than longer limb people. Like they can sit down to their ankles. Uh, mm-hmm. so by going low bar with them, we generally cut their depth a little bit and get rid of wasted movement. Like why in a powerlifting meet do I want to squat five, six inches below parallel when I can get away with being five or six inches higher? So, and we yeah. get a little more ass involved and things like that, as long as they're back strong enough for it. So, got it. um, that's the, that's the caveat. I mean, a lot of times some of your shorter limb people, the biggest thing we need to work on on shorter limbed, longer torsoed people is their back and core strength. Uh, because in their daily life, they're just not used to it. It's mm-hmm. like I do these things at seminars. Well, I'll, I'll pick out two people in the crowd that I can just scan it and see who has short limbs and who has long limbs. And if I drop something on the ground and ask them to pick it up, that short limb person is generally going to squat down and pick it up. And the longer limb person is going to bend at the waist and pick yeah, it up. Bend over and pick it up. Yep. yep they're yep. going to bend almost directly at the at the hip and pick <clears> it up. <throat> uh, so they, they've done that through their whole life. So these short short arm people, they haven't built that their back strength up that against all that shearing force in their daily life. You know, with yes. thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. So we got to get their backs a lot stronger. So right. uh, so one more thing before I ask Mike. So then the is it fair to say those natural you know, like you said, almost the Asian uh, painting with a broad brush, you know, shorter limb, kind of quad dominant Olympic lifter style. They have more of an option for high bar or low bar, right? Is that what you're saying? Or would you would you still encourage them to go a little lower and get that the ass involvement and the back involvement? And you know, <sighs> or just depends. We're on gonna the mix it up. It just depends, man, on what they're better at. At a certain point, early on, we're gonna try a little bit of everything. Um, I'm not one of those powerlifting people. I'm not a powerlifting coach. That's like, you have to be low bar. Yeah, hell no, man. If it works for you, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. roll with high bar. I don't care. Yeah. You know, whatever you can do the best. And it doesn't generally, when you find somebody's squat, it just looks good. You know, it looks natural to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you can tell somebody's like, eh, yeah, that's a squat, but something's wrong. You know, You're straining somehow. It's just uncomfortable yeah. looking, you know. Yeah. So I've got lifters that are way off the board. Like you would think they should be a low bar lifter, and they're high bar. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's okay, you know. We we mess around, and that's the same thing with foot width, you know. It's fine. The difference. I just I tend to <clears throat> I tend to push narrower than wider, just because it's generally better on your hips um, mm-hmm. in the long run. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, there's not a lot of people built to have a really wide stance over periods of time. I've seen just it leads to lots of hip pain in people, mm-hmm. but uh, not so much with the the high bar and low bar. So, okay, yeah. I mean, when the, when I've read about anatomical variations between people and the angle, you know, their femoral neck and all this kind of stuff, I mean, there's a lot of things that come into play. I imagine. Oh yeah, um, I mean. That's like me. I mean, if you measure me, and I just did it a second ago because I forgot what it was, I am like 18 inches from shoulder to hip. Just my femur 
is 24 inches. Mm. And then you've got leg below that. So, I mean, I've got like most of my height is leg. Uh, and so what do I do? I bend over at the hip, you know, and yeah. even in my squat, I've, I've changed it a lot, but I'm still bending at the hip a lot. And it's taken a lot of practice to be a good squatter. Um, but that's the reason my deadlift is damn near stiff like a deadlift. I mean, I bend over and that weight is just not multiplied by a lot. I can bend more at my hip than I do at my knee and it doesn't multiply that weight. Right. That makes sense. Because it's such a short lever. It's like picking up, you know, the the analogy I like using is it's like picking up a sledgehammer. You're going to grab it way at the end of the handle. You're going to choke up, you know, me bending at the hip is like somebody choked up on a sledgehammer and picking it up. It's just easier. Yes. It's, it's just right for me. The the metaphors are helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Um, Mike, how about you? Any, um, I mean, general agreement with the squat, anything you can add to this squat, and then let's also move on to, uh, like, benching. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Phil said, and, you know, I don't do a lot of training of powerlifters in person, but even just some stuff online, it's, a lot of times I think you're, like Phil said too, you're, you have what's perfect in kind of a, the physics world, and then you have whatever they're, uh, structural, anatomical, mobility, motor recruitment, whatever, their limitations are in reality, right? So if someone should be a low bar, but they can't even get the bar remotely close to that, eh, how much time do we want to spend on mobility and working on a bunch of other stuff yeah. to force them in that position and give up some good training time versus, eh, let's just leave it for now, maybe do some mobility stuff and come back to it again in, in the future and see if it feels good, doesn't feel good. Um, so I think that's the the reality that you know coaches are going to be dealing with all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about benching then? Like people that you uh, have trained or pros, and what do they look like? <sighs> good benchers? T-Rex arms. Yes, T-Rex short <laughs> arms thick. You know, the best benchers? Really fat with short arms. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's across the board. You look at the world record benches, and they're really big dudes with short arms. So they've got this short range of motion, and, uh, you know, they're just very they're, – they're built for it. Whereas, you know, me, I take – not that I'm, I'm fat, but <laughs> I've got long arms. So when I touch my chest, my elbows are behind my back because my arms are so long. You know, whereas these people, you know, their their arm might reach 90 degrees. Whereas <laughs> mine is going to like 120 degrees angle. So, uh, yeah, they're just built for it. And it's all it's all tricep strength for them. Yeah. Um, whereas me, I recruit, where do I get sore on bench? My chest. And it's because there's so much movement in that pectoral muscle stretching back. Yeah. Because I have to go to such a, a, a severe degree of angle. So I'm like really strong off the chest. And I will miss it at lockout because I just don't have the strength up there in these long, gangly arms. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas most of your good benchers are, if they can move it, they can lock it out. Because <clears throat> um, they've got just short, massive, like big triceps, and that's what they've used all their life, you know. Right. So, um, and again, we just break it back down to the physics thing. You know, you just have less severe angles and less long lever arms. <laughs> that are yeah. that are multiplying the weight. So, yeah. uh, thoughts on bench, Mike? Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would add in, which this tends to just correlate with with that phenotype, is large wrists. 
Um, I, my thought is that you're going to spread the load, especially a concentrated load on a bench press where it's going to hit the wrist and obviously the shoulders and everything else too. But I just find that good bench pressers in general have pretty wide wrists, but you could argue like Phil said that that kind of goes with that structural anyway, cause they're going to have big arms. They're going to be shorter arms, but mm-hmm. lots of muscle, bigger, kind of more barrel chested. So it, those all kind of correlate together. Yeah. In the D and D world, Lonnie, to relate, it'd be like a dwarf. A dwarf, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And thick and short, you know. I mean, mesomorph. And that's the same. Generally, your good squatters are good benchers. Yeah. In general, okay. They, those two run together, and what you're going to find is your really naturally good deadlifters are not very good at squat and bench. Yeah. It's yeah. just kind of how it plans out, and yep. like I've had to really, really work hard at squat and bench to get it up like i just like deadlift for the last four years has been an afterthought for me like i do it after i squat heavy because it's like it's just i know it's going to be good you know it always has been it didn't take me a lot of work to get to 700 um it took me a shit ton of work to get to 700 on squat Squat. and that's of course with me there's multiple issues you know injuries and things like that you know but still it's in general for somebody built like me we're just going to work work hard at what you suck at. And I just had to find love in that. Well, let me ask you, because you know Ed uh, by far the best, Phil. Is he kind of an anomaly in this way? Because, (laughs) I mean, his bench, you said the best squatters are the best benchers, but wasn't his bench always lagging behind his deadlift and squat? Well, yeah, because you can say that because he squatted and deadlifted a thousand. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's all relative. (laughs) So... He still wasn't shitty. I think his he was like six hundred and some pound bencher. Yeah. So no, he was good. You know, he just wasn't stupid crazy. He was mm-hmm. he was all around good at all the lists. He was just exceptional at two of them. Yeah. <clears throat> you know. So yeah. I mean, yeah, his squat sucked relatively to his or his bench sucked relatively to his amazing deadlift and squat. But yeah. inhuman uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, he's just weird because he's short and thick and you know, normally you mix those. The other problem that your your shorter, smaller armed and legged people have is they usually have small hands, and he has huge catcher's mitts. Yeah, huge, which helps them. So yeah, so he has the hands of somebody like Brian Shaw's size in this dwarf. Right. <laughs> yeah, so he was just able to do it all. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he was built. If somebody was built for the sport of powerlifting, it's Ed Cobb. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's a good point that, you, you know, you could talk about something like body mass index, but that doesn't say where the mass is carried, you know, or hand size or like you said, like wrist girth, you know, yeah. there's a things like that. ton of these other things that also play in. But that's why these correlations, you know, they, they usually explain somewhere like a third to three quarters of the variance, but not all. They don't explain all of the performance. There's all this other stuff. Um, what about... We could just run out of time here. What about like a uh, clean and jerk or snatch? Are they similar in shape? Um, and what's best about them? Um, Mike, have you worked with much Olympic lifters or? No, I default to Phil. I don't. Do <laughs> okay. <any Olympic laughs> okay. Like, Other than is, just is... in person. Eh, I can kind of see where you're missing. Let's try some stuff from a, just a activation standpoint, hands-on work, but that's about it. Okay. So you're yeah. talking about our, Built the same for each lift? Yeah, like a snatcher yeah, versus a, a, yeah, a in, clean in and general, press. You're, 
Yeah, I mean, there's multiple reasons to go into it. I mean, it could be as simple as somebody long-limbed like me um, just getting down and setting up to the bar. You end up with a bunch of shit in the way because I have to bend my knees so far. I have to bend my hips so far. So now this bar, the fastest route to any location is a straight line. When I'm set up down there, I've got knees in the way. I've got ass in the way. I've, the bar's got to go all over the place to get overhead. <laughs> you know, whereas somebody with short femurs and stuff, we can get this very efficient straight path to boom overhead, you know, and there's not this swinging force of the bar. I mean, people forget about that. Like you get a, a, a load going in one direction it wants to keep going that way. So the minute that bar starts shifting out away from me, I have to then pull it back. You know, yeah. it wants to keep going that way um, without. So if I got some of the short limbs and stuff, we get this very efficient first pull that is just straight off the ground and then they can just pull back whereas somebody long-limbed we got to somehow get those knees out of the way and you know we we do that through several ways like narrower stance push knees way out you know we have to adjust them to try and accommodate to that lift whereas with a somebody built for the sport we don't have to accommodate their body for the sport it just kind of happens and yeah generally your clean and jerkers and snatchers are the same build um Thickly built, shorter statured, you know, short limbs, uh, things like that. Very efficient in the front squat. The best indicator is, you know, two things for me for Olympic weightlifters is let's put a bar on your back and see how far you can squat down comfortably. Let's put a bar over your head and see if you can squat. If you can do the both of those, like, okay, we can do this. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. somebody... Like, again, I mean, in general, long-limbed people, if I have you squat to, like, max comfortable depth with a good neutral spine, it ain't going to be much below parallel. And if you want to be a good Olympic weightlifter, I mean, there's a reason there's a rule your ass can't touch the floor. It's going to be close to the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? uh, and you're going to be comfortably sitting there with a neutral spine and be able to stand up. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, they'll, they're built the same. I mean... And then you get anomalies. If if I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just if I if I'm going to summarize what I'm what what we I read in these studies and what you guys are saying. I mean, obviously you can't change your tibia length, (laughs) your femur length, you know the length of your spine relative to everything else. But a lot of this stuff is obviously there's a skill component more with the Olympic lifts. But a lot of these things and what you guys are saying is. You can always build a bigger engine because body mass index and muscle mass and mesomorphy are good things. This is not going to surprise anybody, right? But the, it's the kind of thing that you can change. You can add – and maybe not mesomorphy uh, per se, uh, although, you know, you can become more mesomorphic looking for sure. But muscle adding muscle mass and getting thicker or in some of these powerlifting lifts – Adding some body fat and just overall size like the squat, it sounds to me like what you guys are saying is in pretty much agreement with with this research. You know, it's the kind of thing that you might work on with a client. Like, let's, dude, you're just weak or you're thin. Yeah. Let's beef yeah. you up. You know. Well, and that's honestly that's the thing is that's a way around it. One of the ways around not being built for both of these sports is just getting bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, you know, if you're long limbed, most of your good long limbed people in either sport, they've just eaten and muscled their way to the point they can handle the loves. You know? Muscle yeah. it up. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, 
you can do it. You know, you just have to relegate yourself to realize you're not going to be a lightweight lifter. And that's okay. But then you go to the same can be said. Let's take Ed Cohn and put him in Highland Games. He's going to get killed. he's got short arms he doesn't have like I have the levers I wish I'd have thrown in high school I wish somebody would have introduced me to like shot put and discus it would have been good yeah it would have been freaking awesome I had no clue Yeah, you know it just wasn't there you know I I, I was long limbed and you know you get into sports like that and it's great but uh, and that's what I try and do as a coach man I really do like I, I will take anybody like okay you're not built for this sport but you love it okay let's do it or I'll be like, yeah, you should really try this. You're kind of built for it. Yeah. And watch, it's going to be amazingly easy for you comparatively. <laughs> and generally, if somebody's eat something's easy for you to be good at, you're going to like it. Yeah, give it a you try. Know, people like being good at things. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, and I think that's why uh, you get a lot of younger people come to you, Phil, and I think it's a good thing is we don't have – I think we've talked about this in the past, and we're pretty much out of time. But how some countries, they actively try to identify – people oh, because yeah. of limb length or muscle like mass or like you said just you the know? smoothness of their athleticism and yeah. we don't get a lot of that here so you could end yeah. up with a lot of people that could be naturally gifted in one of the strength sports and they, they never get identified mm-hmm. you know and luckily now we're getting we're starting to get some lifting in college one of my kids just got offered a full ride scholarship for powerlifting to university it's wow. like that's what we need you know we need that stuff yeah. but then he also got a he got a football scholarship too, so he got offered too, and I was like, ah. "Yeah." I told him to go play football. I said, "You've only got four more years of football left. You can power lift your whole life." <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. not gonna, you know. So and yeah, but but it's good. That's the only way we're gonna get better at the Olympic lifts and things like that. Is other countries have a feeding system to their Olympic weightlifting? Right. We don't. We need it at a young For age. Gifted you know, individuals. I would, to, I would love to see it in at least middle school. Um, where they have teams, you know, there's a bunch of kids that are misfits that would love to be part of that. And just, they do, don't do well in a team atmosphere. And, you know, they're, they're like wrestlers. They're just, they want, they want all the weight on their back. You know, I don't want to rely on this team. If I screw up, it's me, you know, and it's a one person sport and it's you against that bar. And, uh, there's kids that are built for it and they, they're mentally built for it. They just don't have an outlet. Right. And they're not being introduced to it. So. Well, think about what we're saying with um, body proportions and muscle mass and everything else. They may not be particularly athletic, like you said, or <laughs> like team sports, but oh my God, they could be world class in one of these other Yeah, that's other like sports. Ed Cohn talks about. He couldn't dribble a basketball. He just was athletically shitty. You know? <laughs> but he could squat, man. So, you know, you might have some of those kids. And right now, what do they do? They end up sitting on their butt watching YouTube. And they could be lifting. You know, they just need to be introduced to it by somebody that will show them a passion for it and that it's fun. Yeah. So. Well, like you said, they if they just give it a try, they could be like, hey, this is easy and fun. And they, yeah. you know, it's just a natural outlet for them. Yeah, that would be a lot better than becoming sedentary. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. And Ed's example, you could argue that that was actually a good thing because maybe he would have went off and played sports. And who knows? Yeah. He may- might have done really well for that. But if you yeah. try it and you're like, oh, my God, I'm incredibly horrible at this. I'm just going to go back and do the thing I'm good at. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Most people will. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, hell, there's probably a lot of kids playing football that are sitting on the sidelines that could be just great lifters. Yeah. Oh, sure. oh well, yeah. And they just don't have the outlet for it. So. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that's good discussion, I think. It gives all, everybody who listens a chance to kind of think about, you know, what they might be geared for, or maybe they love something even they're not geared for it, um, and how do they, you know, overcome it, maybe. Like, yep. you know, what's going to help them be gifted. All right. So. Good stuff. All right, guys. All right. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. 